Hello and welcome to Do The Film Thing, a film appreciation and analysis podcast. I am your host, Victor Omoyo, and this is episode 8 of season 1. In this audio essay, we will explore the 1985 cult classic martial arts action comedy film, The Last Dragon, directed by Michael Schultz and starring Tymok, Vanity, Julius Curry, Christopher Murney, Leo O'Brien, Faith Prince, and Mike Starr. And the film was written by Louis Venosta. Taking place in New York City, The Last Dragon follows Leroy Green, a.k.a. Bruce Leroy, played by Tymok in his debut acting role. Leroy is a young martial artist in search of the master in order to achieve the highest form of his craft, known as the glow. While he embarks on his quest, Leroy must defeat a rival martial arts practitioner, the meanest, prettiest, baddest mofo low down around this town called Show Nuff, memorably played by Julius Carey. Not only that, Leroy must also protect the popular singer and VJ, the gorgeous Laura Charles, played by Vanity, from an evil music producer, Eddie Arcadian, played by Christopher Murney. With such seemingly insurmountable odds, what's a Bruce Lee fan to do? The main element that I enjoy and appreciate about The Last Dragon is its cross-cultural fusion of black and Asian media elements, specifically how it meshes the imagery of Chinese kung fu films, prominently from Bruce Lee's catalog, with the main character and hero of the story, Leroy Green, or Bruce Leroy as he is also nicknamed. We are introduced to Leroy in an opening montage as he executes various martial arts moves to the camera, demonstrating his physical prowess to the film's title song, performed by Dwight David. At one point, Leroy breaks an arrow flying towards him in midair, which as it turns out, was not a special effect. Director Michael Schultz points out in the audio commentary track of the film that several arrows were being shot at at a predetermined target, and Tymac was trying to chop them in half while they were in midair. It took about two hours before they got the timing right. Now, Leroy is a massive fan of Bruce Lee. In fact, to say just that somewhat undersells his devotion to the legendary screen icon, Considering how Leroy patterns his attire, demeanor, and poise after Lee, presenting himself as a black Asian-inspired hybrid of sorts. In her 2016 article titled, Eating Popcorn with Chopsticks, Revisionary Black Masculinity in Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon, author Shante Paradigm Smalls elaborates further on Leroy's image, stating, quote, Leroy is racialized as a black man inside of a black family, yet his performance of blackness is wholly informed by Chinese martial arts film and culture. Chinese popular culture is the genealogy of his particular blackness, an Afro-Asian hybrid masculinity, end quote. We see this personified in an early scene where Leroy is at a rowdy movie theater that is playing Bruce Lee's classic 1973 film, Enter the Dragon. Leroy is dressed in a traditional Chinese male outfit, a long black shirt and pants with white trim, black Tai Chi shoes with white socks, and a bamboo hat that hangs on his back. 
He's even eating his popcorn with chopsticks, gleefully watching Bruce Lee kicking ass on the big screen. Now, granted, Leroy's appearance is undeniably cartoonish and ridiculous, but to me, this is part of the playful spirit of The Last Dragon. Leroy's appearance is not just played up to be a cute visual gag, but it's just one example of how his very being can be seen as a form of rebellion slash resistance against preconceived notions of blackness, as well as masculinity as a whole. Smalls provides additional insight into this very point, as she writes, quote, A recurring motif in the film is that Leroy is unrecognizable or incomprehensible. Leroy frustrates other characters precisely because he evades controlling images of black men and Asian men through his synthesis and application of his idealization of Bruce Lee's type of heroic martial arts masculinity. Leroy never suddenly transforms from awkward nerd to worldly hero, thereby refuting a well-known trope in heroic and martial arts films. Throughout the film, he remains wide-eyed, gullible, literal, and earnest. His characterization is refreshing in this context as he performs as rescuer and martial arts combatant without assuming normative modes of masculinity. End quote. Let's explore Smalls' points here further. Regarding Leroy's masculinity as portrayed in the film, it is important to place The Last Dragon in the context of when it was released in 1985. In the decade before the film's release, blaxploitation was a popular and profitable subgenre of films in the 1970s. Many of these films featured assertive, tough-talking, and traditionally masculine heroes and protagonists, played by the likes of Richard Roundtree, Fred Williamson, Ron O'Neill, Jim Brown, etc. Because there was a relative dearth of black heroes in film, television, and popular media throughout that time and up to the release of The Last Dragon, combined with the socio-political context of the 1960s and 70s, particularly the civil rights movement and the rise of the black power movement, there was an incredible need and desire among black audiences to see strong black heroes on screen that had the ability and the means to effectively fight the establishment forces that sought to put them and black communities as a whole down. In contrast to attempts within the blaxploitation subgenre to present stronger images of black heroes on screen, there was also Hollywood's long-standing and insidiously stereotypical portrayals of Asian people that audiences also faced. Historically, Asian women, for instance, were largely fetishized and portrayed as inscrutable and submissive while Asian men, on the other hand, were presented as desexualized, non-threatening, and otherwise ineffectual. That is, if they weren't positioned as the exotic villain a la Fu Manchu or some such. An example of some infamously racist performances mocking Asian men include Mickey Rooney's cringe-inducing caricature in the 1961 film Breakfast at Tiffany's. Fast forward to a decade later in 1973, when Warner Brothers released both the Shaw Brothers-produced film King Boxer, known stateside as the Five Fingers of Death, as well as Bruce Lee's Enter the Dragon, and now audiences, including Asian moviegoers, are presented with images of heroic, 
assertive, and strong Asian male characters who fly in the face of the weak and demeaning on-screen caricatures of decades past. Subsequently, the martial arts film genre, combined with the popularity of blaxploitation, took off massively among black audiences in the 1970s. Author and professor Sundiata Kita Chajua, in his 2008 essay titled Black Audiences, Blaxploitation and Kung Fu Films and Challenges to White Celluloid Masculinity, references film scholar David Desser, noting that blaxploitation and kung fu films in particular resonated with black audiences because, quote, First, they were the only films with non-white heroes and heroines. Second, they concerned an underdog of color, often fighting against the colonialist enemies, white culture, or the Japanese. End quote. Smalls also points out that both blaxploitation and martial arts films were often shown in the same theaters as double features, which contributed to the enduring popularity of the latter genre among black moviegoers. Now, with all of this historical context in mind, the rise of stronger male black and Asian heroes on screen via blaxploitation and martial arts flicks, as well as their subsequent popularity, it is understandable how both the director of The Last Dragon, Michael Schultz, as well as the film's screenwriter, Louis Venosta, worked with the intention of presenting a new and fresh black hero on celluloid. Schultz explains in the commentary track that when he first read the script of The Last Dragon, he wanted to make a film with a young black hero who knew martial arts, especially because at the time of the mid-1980s, many of the blaxploitation leading men who practiced martial arts were older, such as Jim Kelly and Ron Van Cleef. Schultz also noted that Venosta was a Bruce Lee fanatic who was always complaining to his girlfriend at the time that there were no black heroes, so his girlfriend told him to write one, and so he did. After an extensive casting search, Schultz found the film's eventual leading man, Timok, a young martial artist who won several competitions in New York and had zero acting experience. Schultz explained in the commentary track that one of the hardest elements of the film's production was teaching Timok how to act, and the young actor had a series of acting coaches that worked with him throughout the course of filming. The Leroy Green slash Bruce Leroy character that we see in The Last Dragon is certainly a unique hero. He is not in the vein of his more traditionally masculine and brash blaxploitation forebears, nor is he the embodiment of the desexualized and ineffectual stereotypes of on-screen Asian male figures. Rather, beyond his intentional Bruce Lee visual trappings, Leroy is a soft-spoken yet serious kicker of ass with a boyish charm, whose social naivete is proportional to his own personal drive of reaching the apex of his physical craft, his art if you will. Although Leroy does not change from the naive and awkward Bruce Lee nerd to a suave and debonair ladies man, he still carries himself throughout the film with an unshakable determination. He never has to act like or become something or someone that he isn't. He remains true to himself throughout his journey. Shifting gears for a bit, let's take a look at the character of Laura Charles, played by Vanity. 
Aside from being the eventual love interest of Leroy in the film, Laura is perhaps the most grounded of all the characters in the cartoonish world of The Last Dragon. She's kidnapped by the outlandish music promoter Eddie Arcadian, who intends to coerce Laura into airing on her TV show the music videos of his girlfriend Angela Varaco, played by Faith Prince. The problem, however, is that as much as Eddie has Cindy Lauper-esque aspirations for his girlfriend, singing is obviously not among Angela's talents, but hell hath no fury like a greedy music promoter scorned. At one point, after Leroy rescues Laura from Eddie's clutches, Angela eventually leaves him behind, not wanting to get anyone else hurt at the expense of her dreams, or rather, her boyfriend's dreams, of stardom. One of my favorite scenes in the film sees Laura and Leroy in her TV studio, where she plays for Leroy a montage of Bruce Lee films that she put together, which instantly excites and captivates the young hero. As he eagerly mimics and moves along to the fight choreography of his role model being projected on the big screen, Laura moves closer and closer to Leroy, with a gorgeous grin from ear to ear. She is even clad in an olive green, Asian-inspired dress, seemingly embracing more of the quirky hero's interests. Laura surprises Leroy with a kiss, which he reciprocates. All the while, the Willie Hutch song, The Glow, plays to the entire sequence, a certified banger on the film's soundtrack, might I add. Now, this scene is definitely the equivalent of a love scene featured in so many other action films, and I find it to be rather charming because it manages to stay true to the character of Leroy. Again, he remains an endearingly goofy nerd from opening to ending credits, and it's a fun way of building that romantic energy between him and Laura. Schultz remarks in the commentary track that he was going for a Cary Grant type of connection between the lead actors of Tymok and Vanity, noting that the kind of romantic connection that he was going for really hadn't been seen in a black film at the time, other than Lady Sings the Blues with Billy Dee Williams and Diana Ross. Side note, if your significant other would take the time to edit a whole video montage of Bruce Lee, or whatever your favorite thing is, you might as well go ring shopping. Now, of course, I cannot discuss The Last Dragon without giving some attention to the other prime antagonist of the film, Shonuff, played with verve and gusto by Julius Carey. Similar to his nemesis Leroy Green, Shonuff carries himself with a distinct Afro-Asian flair. Dressed in a bright red Japanese shogun samurai robe with wide football-esque shoulder pads, an unreasonably huge leopard print belt that resembles a pro wrestling championship title, and last but certainly not least, his black Converse sneakers. Compared to the more cool and collected Leroy, Shonuff is the human personification of an ear-piercing shout. His sole motivation is to defeat and humble Leroy so that he can prove to be the baddest fighter in town. Kiss my converse. Finding the actor who would play Shonuff proved to be just as difficult as searching for the lead protagonist, but Schultz and the production team managed to cast Julius Carey, who had the acting experience but no martial arts chops whatsoever to match, an inverse of his co-lead, Tymac. 
However, Carrie managed to pull off most of his own fighting work in the film. Schultz noted that there was also a martial artist who was on set to pull off some of the toughest maneuvers. On that note, Schultz also pointed out in the commentary track that there actually were no stunt performers employed in the film's production, but only martial artists instead. Tymok and Vanity also wound up performing all of their own physical work in the film as well. The Shonuff character would also later be referenced in popular culture, most memorably in 1997 with Busta Rhymes' music video for Dangerous, in which the rapper emulates the over-the-top villain, down to his opening monologue and costume. Shooting for The Last Dragon took 44 days, which was quite impressive considering the amounts of highly choreographed fight scenes the film included, most notably in the final confrontation between Leroy and Sho Nuff, where they go head-to-head, or rather, glow-for-glow. The film had a budget of just $10 million, and it went on to gross $33 million at the box office. Schultz noted that kids went to see the film repeatedly as it was a hit among younger audiences. The director mentioned on the commentary track that it was believed that black films wouldn't play well overseas, which he found not to be the case for his 1976 feature film Car Wash. However, Schultz also noted that because TriStar didn't push the foreign market for The Last Dragon, he never knew how it fared overseas. The only information I was able to find regarding the film's foreign gross was on Box Office Mojo, which only notes that The Last Dragon made a grand total of $750 in New Zealand. Michael Schultz was, and still is, a prolific director in his own right. Prior to The Last Dragon, he directed such films as Cooley High, as well as a handful of Richard Pryor-led films including Bustin' Loose. Schultz's next film after The Last Dragon was the 1985 hip-hop film Crush Groove, and he also went on to direct a slew of episodes for various TV shows, including Blackish, Arrow, and Black Lightning. You really do not hear Michael Schultz's name mentioned in conversations about notable black directors, and considering his steady body of work, that is something that should change. The film's soundtrack was executive produced by Motown Records founder Barry Gordy, featuring the hit single Rhythm of the Night by DeBarge, as well as other songs by Stevie Wonder, Vanity, and others. The Last Dragon went on to be embraced by audiences as a fun and thoroughly entertaining cult classic, and the film remains widely available in a variety of home video formats, including Blu-ray, and most recently in September 2023, on 4K Ultra HD Blu-ray. Nearly 40 years after its initial release, The Last Dragon still remains an enjoyable ride that is well worth sitting down with a bowl of popcorn and a pair of chopsticks to eat with. And when all is said and done, the main lesson of the film is that when you reach that upper level, your mind, body, and soul will be one. It's a sacrifice. It takes hard work. It's a way of life. When you got that glow. Bars. And that about wraps it up for this week's episode of Do The Film Thing. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please tune in next Sunday for episode 9 of season 1.
You can also follow Do The Film Thing on a wide variety of podcasting platforms, including Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and many others. You can also follow Do The Film Thing on social media on Instagram at Do The Film Thing, and you can email the show at Do The Film Thing at gmail.com. Once again, my name is Victor Omoyo, and remember to do the film thing always. Always.